Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Divine Lantern. I'm Alana from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth and thank you for tuning in today. With the blessing of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower and enrich. We will begin today's episode with talk two of a series on prayer by Father Nabil. We'll also continue our series on monasteries of our patriarchate and answer a question sent in by one of our listeners. Remember that if you'd like one of your questions on the faith answered, send us a voice memo to tdl at antiochian.org.au. Let's begin the episode and we hope you enjoy it. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. This week, as we continue the second talk on prayer, I would like to speak about the way we should pray and why do we pray. What should we request in our petitions as we pray? Upon entering the church, we pray a verse from the Psalm 5.8. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. This prayer should be always said when we enter the church. It is a reminder that when praying, we must stand in awe and respect before God. It is important to turn away from our usual cares and preoccupations. We must collect our scattered thoughts as if closing the door of the soul against all that is worldly and direct all our attention towards God. Placing oneself before God and bringing to mind his greatness, one must humbly recognize his unworthiness and his spiritual poverty. According to St. John of Cronstadt, while praying, one should imagine all creation as nothing compared to God, and only God as everything. An edifying example of the proper attitude of prayer was given by our Savior in the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, who was justified by God for his humility. Luke 18:9-14. We must know that Christian humility does not cause depression or hopelessness. Some people think it is some sort of weakness. On the contrary, it is a source of strength. It is linked with firm faith in the goodness and omnipotence of the Heavenly Father. Only prayer of faith is accepted by God. As we read in the Gospel according to Mark 11.24, Therefore I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Warmed by faith, a Christian's prayer is very powerful. The Christian faithful should remember the teaching of Jesus Christ that it is necessary to pray always and not lose heart. Luke 18.1 And his promise Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. The Gospel has many examples of the great power of prayer. The Canaanite woman who begged the Lord to heal her daughter. Matthew 15, 21, 28. The defenseless widow who persuaded the unjust judge to take her side, according to Luke 
18.5.8, and of course others. However, one should not despair if the prayer is not answered immediately. This can be a test, not a refusal. This is why the Lord said, knock, to show that if he does not open the doors of his mercy, we should nevertheless remain waiting with the light of hope, according to St. John Chrysostom. The true Christian faithful will continue the prayer with uninterrupted effort until he convinces the Lord and until he calls down upon himself his mercy. Like in the Old Testament, Patriarch Jacob, who said to the stranger wrestling with him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Genesis 32:26. And indeed, he received God's blessing. In another word, we must be importune and persevere with our prayers with faith and hope. Because the Lord is our Heavenly Father, we are all brothers and sisters. He will answer our prayer only when we have a true brotherly, benevolent relationship with each other. When we have vanquished all strife and enmity and have shrouded all offenses with forgiveness and made peace with everyone. According to Mark 11.25, Christ said, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Unfortunately, these days, many of us don't realize that we must have the horizontal peace with each other before our prayers ascend vertically to him. Christ himself taught us on the cross that he came to reconcile us to each other and to him. He stretched his arms horizontally on the cross calling us in order to ascend vertically heavenward, taking with him our human nature. Concerning our request during prayers, I would like to quote St. Isaac the Syrian, who wrote, Don't be thoughtless in your petitions, in order not to offend God by your foolishness, but rather be wise to become worthy of the greatest gifts. Ask for a treasure from him who is very generous and you will receive a treasure from him in accordance with in reason of your request. Solomon asked for wisdom and together with it he received an earthly kingdom because he made a wise request before the great king. 1 King 2, 1, 4. The greatest teacher of prayer is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is evident from the various gospel accounts. Prayer accompanied all the important events of his earthly life. The Lord prayed while receiving baptism from John, according to Luke 3.21. When all people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. He spent the whole night praying before he shows the apostles, according to Luke 6.12. He prayed during the transfiguration, according to Luke 22.41. He prayed on the cross. The very last word before his death was a prayer. Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. 
Luke 23:46. The prayer of the individual faithful and the church at large is the only way to reach the goal that is set for us. We can clearly say that prayer is not something that happens automatically. We need to build the habit of prayer. We need to have a prayer rule. Genuine prayer needs efforts and constant perseverance. One can say that we must force ourselves to pray in order to get connected. According to Matthew eleven twelve, the kingdom of heaven is taken by force. From the days of the John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Being impressed by the inspiring image of the praying Savior, one of his disciples turned to him with the request, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, 1. And in answer to this, Jesus Christ gave the prayer, shortened form but rich in content, that wonderful incomparable prayer which to this day unifies the whole Christian world. It is known as the Lord's Prayer, which I will briefly speak about as we continue our talk about the importance of prayer in the life of the faithful. Until the next episode, may God bless God and protect us all. Amen. I thank you for listening for my second episode. Thank you, Father Nabil. As always, we look forward to hearing more on the topic of prayer in the upcoming weeks. And now for the Philokalia, take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our Holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. Just as a body cannot grow perfectly if it leaves its mother's womb in a crippled state, so a soul cannot be saved or united with God if it leaves the body without attaining to knowledge of God through a virtuous way of life. St. Anthony the Great Suppose you have ordered yourself not to eat fish. You will find that the enemy continually makes you long to eat it. You are filled with an uncontrollable desire for the thing that is forbidden. In this way, you can see how Adam's fall typifies what happens to all of us, because he was told not to eat from a particular tree. He felt irresistibly attracted to the one thing that was forbidden to him. St. John of Carpathos Prayer is communion of the intellect with God. What state, then, does the intellect need so that it can reach out to its Lord without deflection and commune with him without intermediary? St. Evagrius the Solitary On July 16th, in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate the Hieromata Athenogenes, Bishop of Heracleopolis and his ten disciples. On this Sunday, we commemorate the 630 holy and God-bearing fathers of the Fourth Ecumenical Council, which convened in Chalcedon in 451 against the Monophysites.
shining opposite errors like the sea monsters, Skylar and Charybdis, the fathers steer the church on a straight course to safety. The Holy Fathers were, once again, concerned with the nature of Jesus Christ. The false teaching arose that Christ's human nature, considered by heretics as less perfect, dissolved itself in his divine nature, considered by heretics as more perfect, like a cube of sugar in a parcel of water. Thus, in that scenario, Christ had only one nature, the divine. These false preachers were called monophysites, mono meaning one, and physis meaning nature. And they were led by Eutyches and Dioscorus. Monophysitism overemphasized the divine nature of Christ at the expense of the human. The Fourth Ecumenical Council condemned monophysitism and proclaimed that Christ has two complete natures, the divine and the human, as defined by previous councils. These two natures function as equally perfect, without confusion, and are neither divided nor separate. The Fathers declared that at no time did they undergo any change. By the intercessions of thy saints, O Christ God, have mercy upon us. Amen. Can Orthodox Christians be cremated?
Cremation is a method of disposing of a dead body by burning it to ashes. In recent years, cremation has become more popular than ever. We can speculate that the reason for this is the increasing secularization of society, which promotes the disposal of any item which has seemingly served its purpose. Human bodies are seen as purely physical, no different than the material things of the world, which are thrown away once they break or stop functioning as they're supposed to. The increasing popularity of cremation is concerning for several reasons. Orthodox Christianity has always taught that the physical, human body is a sacred temple of the Holy Spirit and should therefore be treated with dignity and respect. St. Paul writes in his first epistle to the Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Our bodies are gifts from God, which should always be treated with reverence, care, and love. Anything that deliberately defiles the body is not accepted in the church. This is why the Orthodox Church follows the Byzantine canon law, which firmly disallows cremation. Throughout the Holy Scriptures, we also see many examples of how the Lord's people treated their dead. The Israelites buried their dead after preparing the body. They closed the eyes, washed the body, wrapped a cloth over the face, anointed the body with spices, and wrapped it with linen. We also see many examples of the early Christians burying the bodies of believers and martyrs and never simply disposing of the bodies of the dead. The issue of cremation is not a new one. Early Christians during the first century witnessed the start of a heretical movement known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism denied the sanctity of the physical world and the role it plays in salvation. Gnosticism values the spiritual only and sees the physical as evil and worthless. In contrast, the Holy Scriptures teach us that from the very beginning in Genesis, God recognized creation as good, that Christ himself took on physical human flesh as his incarnation and sanctified it, and that he came to save the whole of creation, which is both physical and spiritual. Orthodox Christians believe that our physical bodies play a vital role in our salvation and that the human person cannot be separated into two parts, the physical and the spiritual. This belief is clearly demonstrated in the church practice of veneration of holy relics. To this day, miracles are worked through the physical bodies of holy saints, demonstrating that the physical body is sacred and continues to be a vessel of God's grace even after death. It is also the holy tradition of the church and the teaching of scriptures that our bodies will be resurrected in the second coming of our Lord in a glorious form. This is why we must treat our bodies with care and love. We must feed it with physical food and the word of God. We must rest and we must heal our bodies by partaking in the holy mysteries. Put simply, Orthodox Christians should not cremate the dead. Brothers and sisters, let us work out our salvation through the nurturing and training of both our souls and bodies and create a sacred temple within which the Holy Spirit may dwell. The following segment, Monasteries of Our Patriarchate, 
will take you on a journey through the profound Orthodox monasteries specific to Antioch and all the East. We hope you gain greater insight and appreciation into the geography, history, contributions, miraculous recounts, and spiritual guidance these revered sites and their inhabitants provide for the nourishment of the wider Orthodox community. Dale Alnatur Unfair. In the coastline town of Unfair, Lebanon, stands a monastery dedicated to the Theotokos. It overlooks the sea and the nearby salt marshes and is only a few minutes away from the town centre by car. Although relatively unknown in history, Alnatur means guardian, based on a legend surrounding its ancient origins. It is said that a wealthy man, having committed adultery, felt remorse for his sins and thus chained his ankle with a padlocked shackle, hurling the key into the ocean. His only sustenance was the fish brought to him by local fishermen, owing to the coastal location of the town. One day, a fisherman brought the repentant hermit a fish, in whose belly was found the key to his chain. The man believed this to be a sign that the Lord had forgiven him and his sin, and in gratitude he built a convent above the cave, dedicated it to the Mother of God, but it also bears the name of its guardian, Al-Natur. Historical documents suggest that the monastery was built by the Cistercians, a Catholic monastic order who may have settled here during the Crusader period. The interior of the church resembles the Cistercian structure of the nearby Balamand Monastery, which can confirm its Crusader foundation. Its subsequent history is shrouded in mystery, but some say that the Orthodox community eventually established its presence in the monastery. The Ottomans permitted the monastery to be rebuilt and refurbished in 1838, and in the second half of that century, Deir al-Natur was known to have several monks and a superior owning almost four acres of land. It later passed through several difficulties, having been attacked by a military vessel during World War I and then losing its superior, Father Basilios Debs, who became the Archbishop of the Akar region. His departure marked the end of monastic life at Al Natur, when it then became a refuge for shepherds coming from the nearby villages. Some locals attest to a miracle that occurred at the monastery during World War II, the German army, knowing that the French were present at the Alnatur area, fired a missile from their maritime vessels aimed for the monastery building. The missile had no effect, however, and it did not detonate, let alone cause any damage to the precinct. A similar miracle occurred at the Nuria Monastery in a surrounding region during the Civil War, so such stories were not unheard of. Finally, in 1973, Sister Catherine Al-Jamal arrived at the monastery's grounds after the Civil War and worked tirelessly to restore the monastery and revive the monastic life there. She was the sole resident of the monastery and remained so until her departure to the Lord in 2019. She is described as having been a symbol of faith and dedication to God and having transformed the monastery into a spiritual oasis. Many pilgrims and even hierarchs have testified to her guidance and support. The monastery's daily life was mediated through the constant influx of visitors coming to fulfill vows or make prayers. Its grounds contain a church characterized by its frescoes and position overlooking the sea, 
where pilgrims come to partake of the services such as the Divine Liturgy. Reverent families come to the monastery to baptize their children there. On major feasts, many pilgrims come and receive blessings such as blessed grapes. The monastery also has a store where the faithful can purchase items such as icons, incense or prayer ropes. In the region where the monastery is situated, particularly the town of Anfer, is a particular reverence to the Theotokos, known as Our Lady of the Wind. The icon depicts the Theotokos standing atop the town of Anfer, beseeching the Lord to deliver a few sailors from the ensuing tempest, pursued by an emerging whirlwind. Many local churches are depicted in the icon, such as that of St. Catherine and St. George, but the viewpoint of the icon is taken from the Der Alnatur Monastery. The symbolic message of this icon lies in the trust the faithful place in the Theotokos to deliver them from the storms of life, which are the passions and temptations. It was written by the nuns of Kaftun convent in an adjacent locality. Interestingly, the church in which this icon is particularly reverenced is a very small cave church on the Anfer beach, not far from the Al Nator monastery. It is said that this church was the first church in the Middle East to be dedicated to the Theotokos. In conclusion, although the monastery is presently uninhabited and its history is largely unknown, its presence as a spiritual fortress of orthodoxy in Lebanon is unquestioned, and many faithful Antiochian Christians have benefited from the spiritual labor and efforts of the late Eldress. The monastery's presence reveals the grace of the Lord working throughout history, as well as the Theotokos' protection, and is but one beacon shining from the light of Antiochian monasteries. Thank you for tuning in to another installment of The Divine Lantern. If you missed Talk 1 on the series on prayer, there's plenty of time to catch up and learn from Father Nabil's previous talk. For all the latest news and updates on our Archdiocese, please visit our website www.antiochian.org.au And if you'd like your question on the faith answered throughout the podcast, please shoot it through as a voice memo to tdl at antiochian.org.au. We hope you have a blessed day and we hope to catch you next week.